0: September 3rd, 2020. Looks like it may no longer be required to live within the St. Louis city limits to be a city police officer, if you believe KMOV, there are 100 unfilled positions on the force. Today we've got a treat. Three of my favorite St. Louis steamers growing up, Steve Petcher, Don Ebert, and Carl Rose. From 80 to 84, the steamers were the ticket in town, and we had a ball reminiscing and talking St. Louis soccer. Jake Allen, it was good to know you. Labor Day is this Monday. You're going to a friend's house, having folks over. This one's going to be a little different. Think I'm going to smoke a steak and deep fry a steak. Taste test, if you will. Three things you should, if you have not. Updated my laptop this morning. In the hour and a half it took, I caught a couple episodes of Cobra Kai, the Karate Kid reboot, number one most watched show this week on Netflix. Daniel and Johnny are still living in the same town. Daniel owns some successful car dealerships. Johnny's been better, but finds a down-on-his-luck kid and takes a Mr. Miyagi-liking to him. Season 2 just dropped. I'll check back over the weekend. Number 2 for the Labor Day menu. Take your time. Go out and grill some vegetables and fruit. House choice is fresh green beans and peaches. Get some good char marks up there. Throw some parm on the beans, a little sugar on the peaches. Worth the extra effort. Here's when I ask you kindly if you would subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening Let's me get in front of more ears, let's more people hear fun conversations about St. Louis. You can also go check out Carl, Don, and Steve's St. Louis 7 on YouTube. I asked them where they went after a big game and six other St. Louis questions. For all previous episodes, just Google OT with Oliver on YouTube. Lastly, sticking with the flashback sports theme, had a ball last episode with Mel Gray, no pun intended. Seems folks liked hearing about the big games, how Mel got from California to Columbia and what the cardiac cards were like behind the scenes. If you liked that one, maybe go check out the previous conversation I had with Jackie Smith. Alrighty, time to talk steamers. Steve and Don obviously grew up in St. Louis, and we talk about their journey to the steamers. Carl was a great, unexpected addition. Thanks for that, Steve. I thought it was interesting to hear how Carl acclimated with so many St. Louisans on the roster. Three great ambassadors for a sport that had its moment, and still makes you smile when you think about it. Here we go. Your St. Louis steamers. Go to overtime, overtime with Oliver, with my dad. Tell your friends. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome your St. Louis steamers, as they used to do back in the day, defender from Toronto, Canada, number two, Carl Rose. Thanks for joining Yay. us, Carl. A defender from St. Louis, Missouri, number four, Steve Petcher. And a forward from St. Louis, Missouri, number nine, Don Ebert, all joining us via Zoom. Don's from California, Steve's in St. Louis, and Carl's in Springfield. So thanks, guys.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: I feel Welcome. like, you know, podcast law doesn't allow you to take commercial music you hear on the radio, but if we were on the radio, there'd be like, "ain't no more, ain't no stopping us now in the background while we were doing all this nonsense.
2: <laughs> and <Thank> Kevin Slayton.
0: <laughs> and <Thank> Kevin <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get to him in a second, I bet. So first game... <laughs> Uh, December 14th, 1979, 18,000 people show up for the first St. Louis Steamers home game. Carl Rose, you come walking out of the smoke. What are you thinking?
3: Wow. I played the year before in the league. Never had that big a crowd. And uh, they kept putting it off that night. Putting it off, putting it off. We finally got to go out. Once you ran out, you saw a full house. So it was like, oh, good, let's play.
0: Who came up with the Roses? Oh,
3: that's my name.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But who told you to put some in your hand?
3: Oh, the guys that work in the office. Uh, Twelman, not Twelman's. Lywicky. Tracy and Tim, Lywicky.
0: All right, so let's backtrack a little bit about how you guys got to St. Louis before playing for the Steamers. Steve, you're a St. Louis boy. Dad Howard is a coach, correct?
1: Yeah, I, um, I was actually playing in Dallas. Uh, Dallas Tornado in the North American Soccer League, and uh, my my contract was uh, running out. And the Steamers and Pat McBride contacted me down there, and what, just to check in to see if I wanted to make the move. And you know, fortunately, I did.
0: Grew up in St. Louis in Normandy. You actually won a state title, which is pretty rare for a public school.
1: Uh, it's pretty rare for Normandy High School for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, we beat St. Mary's one nothing in '74. And about two years later, Norman did, didn't even have a soccer team.
0: Catch any St. Louis star games growing up?
1: I did. I did a few, a uh, couple down at Bush Stadium, most of them at Francis Field at WashU. You know, Pat McBride and all those guys playing.
0: And Carl, where'd you grow up? Uh, London, England. And we were there for how long? For as long as it took before you signed on with New York? Uh, no, I moved
3: from London to Toronto at 15. And from Toronto to New York, New York to St. Louis. I'm keep traveling. I'm in Springfield now.
0: Did I see that you're trying actually-
3: to get out to Ebert in California next?
0: <laughs> Did I see that you actually played in the Olympics?
3: Yeah, seventy six for
0: Canada. What was that like?
3: No, oh, it was quite the thrill. You know, big crowds and uh, and the olymp the Olympics are an, are are an event, so it's good to be there. But you know, your team's not as good as you would like it to be. So, just being there was pretty good.
0: Getting back to Don Rosary guy, Drew, North than County pa- boy. Pardon? The North County group. There you go. Petch is a uh, little older than you. Did you guys know each other growing up? No, nah, no, nah, not at all. From not North- that close. <laughs> Don from Rosary you went to SIUE good experience the SIU
2: was a great experience it was uh the JV to the steamers it was uh, 15 St. Louis guys we all went over there played for coach Gelker um very St. Louis dominant a lot of guys that you played club against we all came together and uh it was a special group of guys and it was a it was a lot of fun, and uh, like I said, from there when I eventually went to the Steamers, it was like having SIU all over again.
0: You got a favorite bronze boot moment?
2: uh we—I was fortunate. We we took care of St. Louis. Uh, I was there three years. We beat them three times. Probably the two-one win at Francis Field, my first bronze boot game. Um, then they moved to St. Louis to Bush Stadium and. Uh, those were special, special games, to say the least. Uh, St. Louis, SIU, bronze boot, that was as good as college soccer
0: got for me. And at SIU, as a junior, you beat Clemson and you win the title. Is that the last title of St. Louis College? Has won in soccer?
2: I believe it is.
0: Again, and,
2: uh,
0: other than a junior college.
2: Good. Right. I know Sorb won some, but um, down in Tampa, um, kid named Matt Malloy scored three goals in the final. We won three to two. And then the next day was the NASL draft. And uh, we, about six of us left for that. And the college career was done and dusted within 24 hours. Went from that to, to the pro world.
0: So Don wins the NCAA tournament. You know, Steve, that's kind of a big deal, but I won the St. Ann tournament. And so I think if you repair <laughs> Oh, my God. That was
2: big,
1: that was big time back then.
2: One of my. That is, that's, it's, it's big. Well, on what field? St. Dismas or what little school park was that on? Dinky it scene? was at St. Anne's. It
1: was the Monsignor Sprinkie Tournament. <laughs> that under, little field? Under, the, under, the, under lights and everything was awesome.
2: That field, field was so small.
1: It was, it was tiny. <laughs> <We> <laughs> and, it remember. Was, and it was 11. I mean, forget all these new rules. It was 11 v. 11 on a tiny field. Hey Don,
0: true. we won the game. It was windy, right? We had the wind to our backs. We won the game on a goal scored from half field. No, no one cares.
2: One <laughs> nothing victory. Good job.
0: <laughs> and so, pitch, uh, Patch, bigger thrill. Handing me my trophy or be named captain of the MNT.
1: Ooh, wow! I, I got to go with the men's national team. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: Uh, Don, you talked about the NESL. First round pick, but just chemistry and the people involved over there wasn't a good fit.
2: Oh, I had nothing to do with that. I wasn't good enough. I went from SIU Edwardsville, being a very good college player, to the New York Cosmos. And in front of me was Pele and Beckenbauer and, and Nayskins and Canalia. And I wasn't good enough. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't good enough. Anybody who thinks you can just go from good days at college and the next day you're training with Pele and those guys, you're kidding yourself. I was – I wasn't – had nothing to do with – the Cosmos were awesome. The players were ridiculous. It was – I was not ready. I wasn't prepared. And I was in over my head.
0: What was Franz
2: Bakkenbauer like? He was an absolute idiot. (laughs) He – (laughs) He was was the only guy in the first week. I finally got the nerve because we were locker mates. He was right next to me. And we were going to leave for training camp was in the Bahamas. Believe it. That's how the Cosmos rolled. We were in the Bahamas for three weeks for training camp. And so I finally got the nerve to say hi to him. And I said, now I'm 20 years old, fresh out of Southern Illinois. And I said, hey, Franz, you know, can I ask you, you know, help me? Get little tips as we go. I'd really like to pick your brain. He turned to me and said, I'm not here for you. I am here for one year. Don't talk to me. I don't want to deal with any young players. Just leave me alone. I'm just here to play soccer. And basically shoved it back into my face. And I kind of stood there with my mouth wide open going, you son of a bee. Okay. And never spoke to the man again. Never had to. Never would. Don't really care what he thinks.
0: <laughs> Carl, got to play in the 76 Olympics. Were you disappointed that the U.S. did not play in the 80 Olympics?
2: Yeah, yeah. We did, we did three years of training and uh, finally, finally qualified. And uh, then we get the big news that instead of going to Moscow and getting to play, that we can come to Washington with our parents and go shake Jimmy Carter's hand. And I went... <laughs> I went. Wow! So we're not we're not going to Moscow. And and I remember walking in, showing my dad the letter. He goes, "Oh, this is great. When do we leave?" And I said, "I I said I ain't going. I don't want to." I, I went with my girlfriend, who's now my wife for thirty five years, and we went camping for two weeks. And I disappeared. That was a big, for me. I was so excited. We had a good group of guys. I was pretty involved with that team and. For some stupid reason, everything got pulled. I thought it was
0: garbage. All right. Back Carl, to Carl, where was,
1: Carl, where was the 76 Olympics? Montreal. Oh, that was nice.
0: That was yeah. the uh, Jenner year, right? Yeah. Times yeah, of change, was, bro.
2: Yeah, times have changed. The weedy box wouldn't be the same.
1: <laughs> 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 okay, moving on.
0: So for people who don't know, indoor soccer, four quarters, 50 minutes apiece, no offside, six players a man, 60-man rosters for the Steamers, mainly St. Louis guys, a lot of passing off the wall, give and take like basketball. Here's what I had forgotten about, but it's, it's daunting when you think about it. 150 shots a game. Carl, you're a defender. What was that like?
3: As long as they weren't shooting it to my end, it's okay. <laughs> um, I think
0: 150 pretty much shoot everywhere, Carl.
3: Well, I don't have to be on the field, though. <laughs> uh, it's that's just the way the game went. You know, you it's end to end. The players we had, and the players we played against, were really good. So it was just end to end, and uh, keepers had to be good, defenders had to be good, and you just you just played. That's just the way it was. We weren't counting shots; we were just uh, playing to to win.
1: No, but I would I would say that back then. You guys tell me if I'm wrong. But a shot was counted anything between – I think any between the two corners, whether it went over – those weren't shots on goal. Those were just shots. Right. So, so I probably had ten of them, That but they never – they were always over the glass. So But they counted as shots. So.
0: Well, and there was actually glass above the goal. So, you could miss. And unlike oh, yeah. outdoor soccer, it's, it could still come back at you.
1: Oh, that was the exciting – I mean, it was one of the exciting things about it the ball was always in play
2: and that's what was amazing petcher would clear that glass with no problem it would just it would just keep rising
1: still is
0: still when is
2: Petra, when petcher shot the people in the upper deck of the arena would only when he only when he loaded up the big dog the rest of us the rest of us could hit the glass not the big dog that, that ball was
1: upper deck by was it my specialty <laughs>
2: That orange hot thing flying in the upper deck.
0: <laughs> First of year in St. Louis, 14,000 fans per game. Next best, 8,500. You had 6,000 more people a game coming to your home games. That had to have been a blast.
1: It was cool. The um, you know I think uh, Carl had mentioned the guys earlier, the liewicky brothers. Really, I mean, we didn't know what to expect when we were sitting in the locker room before that first game, and then, as Carl said, I think we were in there for like 45 minutes because there were so many people in the lobby, they couldn't get them into the arena. All right. And Finally, we went out, and then that's when we saw the lights and the steam and the roses and everything else that was going on. But that that was all based on uh, the Lie who we were still heavily involved with uh, professional sports uh, throughout, actually, Canada and the United States still.
0: Correcto. Carl, what was that turf like? Was it still cold no. underneath? With the ice? Oh. No, our, the, uh, the checker dome, the
3: arena, whatever we call it now. Um, we had boards on top, but you did go to some places that did have ice and you really didn't want to fall. But, you know, the way that the game was played, you are going to fall. Someone's either going to hit you or you're going to fall. So, you know, you got a lot of bruises and scrapes on your legs, but that's just the way it was.
0: Don, how did you like playing at the arena?
2: Uh, it's hard to describe. You know, people ask me that. What's it like? There was an energy in the arena that you, you – you, I don't know how to describe it. You, There would be nights you would be flying back. You'd be a little low of energy, back to back to back, and then you'd run out there, and when there's 18,000 people screaming, those are crazy fans, and – we always tended to play six, five, seven, six. We we just were a little more open, and um, the energy was ridiculous. You, there's just no way you couldn't run. There's no way you couldn't give it a hundred percent because the atmosphere. You couldn't hear each other. Pat McBride would be yelling at you, and if you're on the other side and the something and the fans were into it, I just look. I go, Pat, what? yeah sure tell me later you couldn't hear across the field uh it was loud and it was very energized it was I've been in I've been in a stadium with 70,000 like the Cosmos when they were a giant stadium and there would be 70,000 people and I'd sit in the stands and I say, okay there's a lot of people here but the energy wasn't the same as those 18,000 people at the checker dome. it was insane
0: and Steve, you used to have your own section, waving their little blue towels, little powder blue towels. How many people were <laughs> you giving out tickets to?
1: My dad had fifty-five-zero season tickets.
3: <laughs> My dad, dad and- all family?
1: Uh, relatives, friends, all that stuff. And they would all sit in that. I can't remember what the number was. It might have been 216. Then they had a big banner all the way up top that hung down. Um, but they were there every game.
2: Every game.
1: <laughs> funny. The funny part is my mom, when I would go on the floor, would take the program from that day and put it in front of her face until somebody told her I was back off, back on the bench again. She, she did not want to watch me on the field. I don't know if I was that bad or <laughs> she was afraid I was going to get hurt.
2: I think she was afraid you were going to shoot.
1: wow
0: steve how did you like playing on that turf
1: uh my knees would scream at anybody that put that turf down right now um it was it was it was tough um the the turf itself was nothing like it is today and like carl said it was either on ice or on boards at the at the arena most of the time it was on boards, but if the Blues had a game right after or, or closer to us the day before, we would play on ice every once in a while, and it, there was no padding or anything. It's It was bad. It was bad. We we have a game. Uh, I can't remember what year it was when we played the Arrows in, at Long Island. Uh, you guys remember this. It was on we, the ice. It was a championship. that was the fifth game, I think, and yep. uh, it was against Sungle and all those guys, and we walked out there. And it was soaking wet puddles on the field because they had put it on ice and somebody forgot to keep the ice frozen. And they were going to cancel it, and I guess it was on TV, so we had to play it. But, I mean, it was, it was like playing outside in the rain. That's right. Bad.
0: You know, we talk about the big crowds, you guys all know Daryl Duran. Uh, a little bit. Just yeah. a little bit. Do you know he has more indoor games than anybody else born in America? We'll, ask well, when you did. when you play thirty years, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: when you and when you, when you're the coach and owner and general manager, and you play your and you play yourself all the time, good for you. He, <laughs> and he, he and fig- and you figured started when it you were out.
1: seventeen.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that, that boy figured it out. I'll pay myself to play, manage, coach. That boy.
1: And we used to sneak him in bars. Yeah, and we used to sneak him in that we
2: did. <laughs> Had to do that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> he tells me the story. By the way, he actually has sat down and did an episode uh, five, six months ago. But my tech guys messed it up. And so I got to circle the wagons and try to get Daryl back on. But anyway. Growing so
1: he, would, up, he would have been good to have on with us three. I'll tell you that. He was
0: great. <laughs> but his story that I thought was fun, because he was growing up at the time was the walk-up crowds were crazy. So, like, you know, you'd have 12,000, 13,000 tickets sold, but walking up to the game, there was another 3,000, 4,000 people coming into the stadium, and that never happens nowadays.
1: No, Eves, you're the salesperson. Figure that one out.
2: Listen, I remember when I worked at the forum, we used to hire um, cops, undercover cops, to be outside for scalpers. Remember the scalpers? And I knew a bunch of my buddies who they get tickets for me and they go and scalp them the cheap SOBs. <laughs> and uh, those days, everybody was selling tickets, buying tickets outside. Those days are gone, man. You hit the internet, you hit the Stub Hub, you get your ticket. But back then, scalping, walk ups, reselling tickets, yeah yeah, some people made a lot of money on those. A lot of money.
0: Carl, a lot of St. Louisans on the team. Did you feel comfortable or did that take a while?
2: Oh, it's always comfortable
3: if you uh, play with players that you like and you play with players that you think are good. Um, You uh, respect each other. Hey, I think the best thing that St. Louis ever did was have local guys because it brought the crowds in and we put the product on the field. When the product was out there, it was very enticing. And it made people want to come back. So after a while, you feel like you're a St. Louisan, too, because that's what the crowd want to see. They want to see you. They want to see your teammates. And it was a
0: good thing. First year, the record's not great. Steve, did you feel the team was better? You just had a couple bad breaks along the way?
1: Yeah, I think we were 12-20 and the first season, which I think most people forget about because of the crowds and stuff. But we had a team. Eves, you weren't there the first year, right? No. Yeah. No. So uh, That's
2: why we that's why we were losing.
1: Yeah. I didn't say, you know, we,
2: we <laughs> can talk about we could talk about when the franchise turned to corner.
1: The, the savior <laughs> the wasn't there yet. Uh, yeah, right. And neither uh, was Slobo. Um <laughs> Slobo. <laughs> minor detail. Few, yeah,
2: yeah,
3: minor really.
1: Detail. Um but we were a type of team. We were you you wouldn't classify us. You know, it's probably the prettiest team you could go watch. But we lost a lot of games by, like, a goal or something like that because we, like I think Eves was saying earlier, we we worked extremely hard um, on the field. We gave everything we could. Um, so we always had close games. Um, probably easily could have been 500 or whatever. But, um, but we worked hard, and I think everybody appreciated that.
0: So Don's off in the wings looking at what's going on in his hometown, and he says, I can come to this place and turn it around joke joke
2: yeah yeah if you want to believe that story that would be better yeah <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but the, the truth is the cosmos didn't work out i had a i had a chance to go to chicago uh willie roy was the coach and stay in the outdoor and then you know i knew what was happening back home uh been there my folks and everybody was saying and i got a chance this When you talk to Pat McBride and I don't think Pat ever gets the the credit he deserves. When Pat McBride calls you and says, we got this thing going. Would you consider coming back home? Leave the outdoor game. I hadn't been to an indoor game. I had not seen the guys play. I just heard about the crowds. Um, But when you talk to Pat and Pat asked you uh, that sewed it up for me, I just said, the heck with it and didn't go to Chicago and um, got to play for Pat. And I will say, having played for way too many coaches in my life, uh, the most fun was not only because of the guys on the steamers and the crowds and all that. When you play for somebody like Pat McBride, um, it makes – it was never a job. I never felt like the steamers was a job. He kept it fun. He let us be who we were. He knew we were a little crazy. He knew we had to do things our way. And Pat allowed it to happen. And uh, he was the best, I don't know, tactical coach. He was the best man that I've ever played under. And uh, one of my top five all-time favorite people.
0: Carl, all your friends are outdoor players. How are you explaining to them what you're doing now inside with St. Louis?
3: How do you explain it? Well, NASL was folding, so, you know, everyone's going inside. And you have the likes of Petcher, you have Ebert coming, you have Slobo, you're playing against Karl-Heinz uh who else? Tattoo. So, there's nothing really to explain. The game was going inside, all the good players were going inside. What you see today in indoor is that all the good players are outside, so... You're, not, you're never going to fill that arena or whatever city you're in playing indoor. Where when we played indoor, everyone was playing indoor. All the top players that were around from the NASL that were still healthy enough were playing indoor, whether it was Baltimore, Houston, Dallas, L.A., uh, Chicago. It didn't matter the city. Everyone had really good players, and we happened to have uh, – Good players in St. Louis, U.S. national team
2: players,
3: like the two where I'm on with, uh, Tony Bellinger, Sam Bix. I mean, we can go on and on. The outdoor game came indoors, and it was competition at its highest level that you'll ever get to see indoor-wise. And that'll never come back. We were quite fortunate that we played in something that tremendous, that people still remember. So, you know... Part of history,
0: we're lucky old men. So, we've talked about how the first season wasn't record wise a success. Management brought in some players. One of the players they brought in was Slowbo Ilyeski. Let's uh, round table on this one. Don, you got a good Slowbo story?
1: Oh.
0: Hey, he's a frustrated forward. <laughs> I mean, the, first, uh, the first day he's
2: out here dribbling, I'm like, what, the, what Give me the ball. I, I just. I just dribble by his language. His English was very broken at that time. And all Slobo didn't want to be a goalie. He just wanted to be out there with us and dribble. And I remember he'd roll the ball out of training beyond the first blue line and take off. And everybody's like, what the frick is this guy doing? And dead serious. And uh, Slobo, uh, listen – we need more people like Slobo. God rest his soul and love him to death. I, um, he was the best indoor goalie in an era of a lot of great goalies. He, when you change the sport, you know you're good. There are certain athletes that change sports, Tiger and Michael Jordan. and We can go on and on. Ilyeski changed indoor goalkeeping. Everybody started playing like Slobo with the feet, with the playing back, being aggressive, he changed the sport. He was super person.
0: Carl Slobo story.
3: Injuries. He <laughs> would use onions and tomatoes. Yeah, you know, he did. Uh, he did. We would all go to the doctor or the trainer with Slobo at his old his old country cures, and that's what he would do. But it seemed to work for him because he was always on the field, ready for to play. So, you know. He did a lot of things differently, but he was always prepared to play, to be the best, and uh, you couldn't ask for a better backup behind you, especially as the defenders.
0: Steve?
1: All right, well, they talk soccer, so I'll talk two other things. One was he, he only ate sweets. You hardly ever saw him eating, like, regular food. He was always eating pies and everything else. And then uh, he was probably the only guy with the group, in the group, when we went on the road, that would come home with his per diem.
2: <laughs> that is true. That is true.
0: <laughs> was he married?
1: He, was, he got married during while he was here to Linda.
3: She was a beautiful lady. Oh, she is a beautiful.
1: Lady. Yeah, she is.
0: Yeah. 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 Second season more successful, twenty-five and fifteen. You make the playoffs. Do you guys remember the name John Dolinsky?
1: Oh
2: God, Buffalo Sabers.
1: Buffalo Stallion. Stallions. He, live- yeah, he, he actually lives uh, over in Illinois.
2: Played for Pittsburgh originally. Pittsburgh, and didn't he go to Stallion? Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah him him right. and Kevin Slayton are best friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> what was that game like? Did you see that? Was it all going on and you had no idea?
1: I didn't. I, at the time, I didn't know what was going on. I don't know if these guys did. But...
2: No. No, nah, no one saw it. It was over in the penalty box. The guy was in the box, and Slayton started mouthing off because he's over there. That's where the announcer was. He sat right between the two penalty boxes, and uh, next thing you know, <laughs> Slayton's climbing the glass going over. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> everybody rushed over there. I still don't know what started it, who started it, but Slayton was in his penalty box throwing punches.
1: Well, each guy will tell you a different story. And Dolinsky does, actually. He lives just across the river over in Illinois, so I see him every once in a while now. Is he a Gallagher coach? No, nah, uh, no, I don't think he ever did. He was coaching somewhere over there, but his—he had a daughter that was playing and stuff, and he—I would see him every once in a while. And I think he's been on Kevin's show once or twice, you know, just having a little fun with it and stuff.
0: That was before the Wichita Wing Series, correct? You betcha. All right, so. Eighty one semifinals, down five goals into the last quarter, and some refer to this as the best indoor game ever. You come back and win eight seven. Pet, you had a goal in that game, right?
1: Uh yeah. Yeah, I sure did. What do you and remember I about around, that game? I turned around and pointed at all the Wichita fans that had come <laughs> to the game afterwards, but um the the it was March twenty seventh, eighty one. Um, I actually have it on my calendar. The Wichita guys don't think it was the greatest game ever. They're still saying that, you know, the referees were a nightmare. If you go back and look at that game, which I've done a couple of times, what I didn't realize the first time I watched it was that there was actually only one referee at the ta- At that time. Um, what was his name? Uh, Art um, Ash. Ah, I can't remember his name now. But anyway, how one guy – I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, you could get away with some stuff back then because there was only one referee. There was one guy in the box and one guy on the floor and he had to cover the whole floor. So it was really hard, but the, the winning goal, uh, which Eve scores, um, was started on a free kick on the right-hand side at I'm going to call it the blue line. Um, and it touched four people and never touched the ground. I don't know if you guys know that if you ever watched the goal and I hit it, of course it hit the actually above the goal (laughs) and it it went down to Eve and Eve scored and the funny part is, you see, Eves and I don't, like, congratulate each other. We crisscross, and he goes up on the glass on that side, and I'm up on the glass on that side. And the place was going nuts. The stories about people – and I'm sure these guys have heard the same thing. The stories – I mean, I, I think there were 50,000 people at the game because everybody was there. They tell you, they will tell you they were at the game. But you hear stories about people that we were down by so many goals, that they were leaving, they were in their cars, they are on the highway – they're listening to the game. I think it was on camo X back then they're listening to the game. And all of a sudden, here we go. We start scoring some goals and people turned around, came back, either sat in the parking lot, listening to the game because they could hear the noise from inside. Um, or they actually snuck back inside. Um, it it was, it was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. If you watch the Wichita coach on the film too, Roy mm-hmm. Turner, uh, who actually I'm going to see in a couple of weeks, um, but he uh, he starts off with a coat and tie on and everything. And as that fourth quarter is going along, man, all of a sudden the, tie's then
0: the tie is off. loosening.
1: Off, and the tie comes <laughs> off. Uh, it's, it's pretty funny to look back at now. But, yeah.
0: It was John, crazy. have you ever looked at it on YouTube?
2: One time, but believe it or not. One time. Uh, somebody sent it to me. Um,
0: you had more facial hair. Yeah.
2: Though. I know. I had a lot of. More hair, period. Um, (laughs) Thanks for pointing these things out. Listen, that thing was a blur. That fourth quarter was a blur. Uh, I really, uh, touch amazes me. I I don't know how he dates, and I don't remember. I remember heading it in. I remember jumping on glass. I remember the place erupting. Um, I will say it it was the funnest indoor game I was part of. And obviously, if I was Wichita, I wouldn't say that. But in the years that I played indoor, that was the most exciting game I remember playing it.
0: Carl? Okay.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with the two guys. I mean, you can't play a game like that in such a high high-level intensity and be losing like that. I mean, that's, I think, when we became a team because we were losing – we were getting warped, <laughs> and things changed, and they kept changing, and we kept getting more, and it was just a all-round team effort. You know that I think that was the cha- the day that changed the steamers around, because we became more tighter because just for that game, just how hard you had to work in that game.
1: I have a I have a classic Carl Rose story and I'll, I'm going to have to get you guys the DVD because I actually have it on a, on a DVD now. <laughs> um, but we're in overtime. They beat Slo- Slobos, of course, way out of the goal. They beat him. They hit it along the boards, and it goes all the way around the boards. Carl probably remembers it. It goes around the boards, and it's rolling towards the goal, but it it's you know it's right on the board. So how, I'm not sure if it was going to go in or not, but Carl's sprinting back, and it gets to about – in the middle of the goal and he's the first one to get there and he just puts the top of his foot on it and just stops it. Like, I remember that. Like there is nothing going on. We're up by 20 goals. <laughs> There's two people in the audience. It was so cool. It was, it was the pearl. I mean, it was, <laughs> <laughs> I remember that.
3: Well, I'm playing with you guys. I mean, you know, if you can't be the lot, you can't play.
1: It was classic. It was classic. <laughs>
3: That game, that game brought us all together. And when people came to play with us, new players, they had to step up to our standards.
1: Yeah, and the and the, the other thing that came out of that game was we ended up losing late with like 30 seconds left to the uh, arrows two days later. But we, Eves, you didn't play in that game, right?
2: Well, I just, I got hurt during. You game. got hurt. Bellinger was
1: out. We had we had quite a probably three or four guys that normally would have been playing in that game. And they were 100% healthy. And, but we still almost – we had a shot. You know, everybody remembers. Amelia Romero had a shot that hit both goalposts. We, could actually, yeah. we actually could have gone up late in that game and then see what happened. <laughs> and then Zungle, of course, scores with 30 seconds left. Yeah.
0: So, Patch, Steve That's Zungle, was... cherry picker? Best ever. He
1: Not can, a cherry picker. He could, the come,
3: best. he could come cherry pick on our team. You if he better
1: comes. believe it. He could pick whatever he wanted to pick. Exactly. He's easy. Two words or one word: the goat. I mean, unless these guys agree or disagree, I don't know. But. No, and, I
2: agree. hands down. And now, cherry picker. That's 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 <laughs> blasphemy for him. That guy worked his butt off. He just was so smooth and so much more talented than everyone else. It made it look easy. Zungle was the greatest of all time, and he could finish. And, and I've never seen a cleaner finish than than he had. And I saw a lot of Stamankovic and Rontveds and you name them. I, I saw a lot of Terleckis and Marhetics and Granitsas. Zungle's still the best finisher, cleanest. And he, he works hard. His runs, his timing was impeccable.
1: And Carl, He's he, the was, best. he was in New York when you were there, wasn't he?
3: Yeah, played with him the first year of the league. Same thing, I mean, I'll tell you a story about him. We played the Russians. And he was begging for the ball all game because the Russians made his country, country communists. And uh, yeah. they beat us 7-6, and he got all six. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, he got all six. And I've never seen somebody so focused in my life playing a game. And he hated them. And they knew who he was. They knew who the guy was. They tried Still couldn't to- stop him. And he couldn't stop him. He put six. And that was the uh, Moscow Dynamo we played.
1: And, and here's, he here's the him. other thing about him that people don't think about is uh, every night he was the target for the opposing team. Right. And he played every night. I don't ever remember a game against his team when he wasn't playing. I agree.
3: Yeah, I have another story about him. <laughs> we played in Cleveland. Don Popovich was our coach, and uh, I think we were winning like 5-1. It was in the halfway in the middle of the third quarter. So Popovich takes him out, tells him to sit. So Zungle takes his shoes off, says, we it, I'm done. So the the score goes 5-2, 5-3, 5-4. Popovich starts putting his shoes back on for Zungle because we needed him. You know? That's
0: how good he is. That's how good That's, he is. <laughs> Going into the next season after almost winning the championship, Don, you thinking this is our year?
2: I always thought we were one of the best teams. The problem was Arrows were really, really good. I, you know, the Wings, our division, We, I guess every good team needs a Buffalo Bills, and we were – we were the Buffalo Bills to the Arrows. Those, those guys were just super talented. And then I think later in the career, I, I'd say the same about San Diego. I think San Diego became that dominant team. But as good as the Steamers teams were, we always ran into a juggernaut. And in my years, it was the Arrows and Sockers. And it was just hard to get by those guys in a five, seven-game series they were just loaded. So, yeah, we were good. We knew we were good. We knew we were one of the top teams. But to win it, you had to climb those two mountains, and those were big mountains.
0: So at the time Don's married, Steve, you were single, correct?
2: No, I was married.
0: You were married. Carl, were well, you single at the time?
3: Yeah, <laughs> for a while. <laughs> I got married a little bit before Don did. So I think most of us were single, especially the first two, three years.
2: yeah. Everybody was single. Mm-hmm. I think wasn't t- uh, TB was like the first one married. wasn't Well, he, he was
1: married when he came to Dallas in '77. Yeah, so.
2: I think he he was the first one to ever yeah, buy his wife right to anything high,
1: right out of high school. Yeah. yeah,
2: for a Sunday off day, Bellinger would be the only one with his wife. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, TB, uh, what's the deal here?
1: <laughs> and and his kid.
0: Steve, the town's going crazy. You're making what, like two and a half million, five million dollars, something like that?
1: Nah, Ebert was the only one. <laughs> that's why they shipped me that's why they shipped me to California. You and me both. <laughs> you and me both. That was uh, your buddy, uh, wasn't it? Nah, we yeah, were was- I mean, we were all making decent money, but trust me, we're all still working. <laughs> Nobody, nobody, to be playing, no, to be nobody wanted, ended up re, retiring early, but, uh, but that wasn't because of soccer, but uh, no, it was, it was, you know, decent wages. So for the time, I guess we weren't competing with hockey and baseball and stuff, but, but it was good.
0: Four straight years. You outdraw the blues. I mean, again, just for people who don't understand what was going on at the time, this is the toughest ticket in town. Everybody wanted to go. It was exciting to be there. That sport changed, like, how the NBA markets itself. How arena football came. Was there parts in time where you were going, what the hell is going on? Having a good time, but this is not what I'm used to.
1: Well, two, two things for me. One is um, Sports Illustrated came out with an article, and it, it wasn't <sighs> – it was part of it was good. And the other part was we were a joke because of the steam and the music and nobody else was doing it. No other yeah. stuff. We were way, way ahead yeah. of the, way ahead of the time at, at, um, back then. Um Now they all do it. Well, yeah. And, and Lightwick, he's again, we go back to them. They had a huge part of it. And then they started going to other sports and stuff and bringing that in. And now, now everybody, everybody does it. Right.
0: Don, did some of your outdoor guys look down at you because you're playing in the indoor?
2: No, I mean, it's like Carl said, uh, people were – we didn't have a choice anymore. In the early stages, you could choose outdoor or indoor. Most of the guys chose outdoor. They were getting paid better. uh, And we all grew up with the outdoor game. By the time I came around, I mean, the Cosmos only lasted one more year after I left them, two more years. the the writing was on the wall. So if you wanted to get paid and you wanted to continue playing professional soccer in the U S there was one choice and it was, you got to go indoor. And so, you know, everybody started coming indoor and it became what it became, but we didn't have any choices. It wasn't an uh, an option. It, It was going the other way.
0: Carl, when you look back right now and think about those, I mean, you were there for more than the three years, but for those three years, is that about as much fun as you had?
3: Yeah. as a, it's About as much fun as I've had as a player, uh, making friends with my teammates, uh, lifelong buddies. Um, it couldn't have got any better, and we were hitting the finals. The only thing we could have done was win, you know, a final. I mean, everything was just... Uh, we worked hard. We knew each other, and uh, we did what we had to do every night. Didn't matter if it was two games in two nights, one game a week. Uh, we were we came to play, and uh, I think our friendships will last forever through those days. Like, I got these two dummies on here with me now.
0: Steve, Don talked about Coach McBride. You got a good McBride story?
1: Cool. <laughs> Hartford. He, 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 he was a player's coach. There's no doubt about that. Um, my stories aren't probably uh, I could come up with a bunch of them on the field but more off the field and I think some of these guys were these guys were talking about we were very we were <clears throat> the majority of us <laughs> not everybody but almost <laughs> almost everybody except for maybe one person uh, was very close off the field as well um, whether we were at home or on the road or whatever but I just I was actually just telling this there's not a week that goes by that somebody doesn't bring the steamers up and having this conversation with somebody the other day. And we were talking about Pat and they were, you know, Hey, how was he? And all this stuff. I said, well, let me give you this. I mean, we had all gone out one night after a game and we were coming back uh, through the hotel and we, the group liked to sing songs and stuff. So we were singing we're going down the hallway and uh, we knew what room Pat was in and Tim Rooney, who, Uh, was the assistant coach at the time. They both were rooming together and we knocked on the door and Rooney's trying to barricade the door and Pat opens it standing there in his boxers and just didn't miss a beat, started singing the song that we were singing. (laughs) But that's how, that's how he was. I remember that I think it was the first game we were in Cleveland and we were playing a game. It was, it was kind of weird, but it's called who stole the cookie and he was playing it on the bus on the way to the game. I mean, it's just – that's just stuff that he was he would do with you to, you know, just – I don't know. It's hard it's to – Loose and easy. Go ahead, Carl.
3: I said keeping it loose and easy yeah. is what he did with us, you know. Um, he knew how to get it out of us, but he knew how to keep it loose so we could all have fun as well.
1: And he knew we would – no matter what we were doing, when it was game time, it was game time.
0: Growing up in St. Louis, I owe you guys. Uh, we're going to rattle off a couple of steamers. Before I do this, before I talk about some individual steamer players, just to let you guys know. So I got a good friend, Tom Laufer, we're growing up. His dad gets us some plexiglass in a basement, undesigned basement. We get a couple of those saw horses as goalies, and we play indoor soccer <laughs> in his basement every day. Mm-hmm. Six hours a day, sometimes I'm Steve, sometimes I'm Carl, sometimes I'm Don. It doesn't really matter. When we score goals, we hit the music, we wave to the crowd, we pump our fists. <laughs> we had a ball. And so I owe you for a couple summers. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: Jeff Cacciatore for, what, 130 pounds soaking wet? Pretty good.
1: Eves knows him the best, I think.
2: Unselfish. <clears throat> Most. Unselfish, one of the most unselfish players I ever played with in college and pros. Just Carl? one of the best teammates.
3: Hardest working player ever. Nobody worked harder. Uh, I remember the story in New York, playing against New York, and Val Tuxa so picked the ball up in the middle of the game and kicked it to Catchatori because he was such a pest. So hard, hard worker, hard worker. He'd get on your nerves great and a great guy.
0: Steve what about Ty Keo? Um
1: <clears throat> like to stretch? <laughs> I was it's, it's kind of a, it's that's, a inner that's joke. Cold. Inner that's joke. Cold. He was he was always stretching. I still give him trouble every time I see him that he uh, how come you're not stretching? You know, you're watching the FC <laughs> game you're not stretching. <laughs> uh, just very very talented. Could play could almost play any position, I think. And and great bloodlines, by
0: the way. Yeah. Don, any idea who gave you the most assists? Oh.
2: Uh, Not me. Season, me. I think it was either Orhan or Anderson
0: or Catch. is my guess. <laughs> and, Carl, when you look at St. Louis steamers, it's hard because everybody was scoring seven, eight, nine goals. But who was the defenseman that you thought was really somebody who had your back?
3: Oh, uh, depends. I, I played with Sam Bick, so he had my back all the time. If I played with Petsch, he had my back. Or Bellinger, Mikowski. I think that was uh, – depends on who your partner was most of the time, you know. And, uh, like, Steve had Tony B. I had Sam Bick. So, I would go with Sam Bick. He was the rock.
0: As we get ready to wrap this thing up and do a St. Louis 7 – want to get your thoughts on the St. Louis City Soccer Club, but Don, you're out in California now coaching, right?
2: Yes, still coaching. I coach a little Division Three pro team, and I've been in the youth club business
1: for 35
0: years. And Steve, what's keeping you busy? St. Louis Scott Gallagher
1: Club here in town. I oversee the girls program, which is about 1,300 kids. And then I also oversee all the facilities that we have as well.
0: And how is your life nowadays with everything going on?
1: Uh, It's a little bit better as we speak, just because we're able to at least uh, have contact at practices and starting to scrimmage against each other and that type of thing. We just can't – we just can't – in the county, we can't play regular games yet, but we're getting closer.
0: I think it's great. You guys are still in soccer. I mean, I wouldn't have thought otherwise, but, I mean, it just means you're you're soccer through and through.
1: And so is Carl, too. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and and Carl, you look great. We don't know each other. You've had some health issues, but you look great. Everything good with you?
3: Yeah. Uh, can't complain. Won't complain. Doing okay. Getting around, moving. So, life's good.
0: Very good. All right. Going to wrap it up with the future of St. Louis soccer, as far as we know. MLS St. Louis City Soccer Club. You know, I like what I'm hearing. I think there is – an opportunity there, Steve, you're much closer to the situation or much more knowledgeable than me. What do you think?
1: I mean, I like what they're doing so far. I think it was a good thing to move it back to 23 instead of 22 just because of the timing for the stadium and everything with all the COVID stuff going on. So I think the league made a good decision there. Um, <clears throat> haven't hired a coach yet, so waiting to waiting to hear that. I did – I personally, I like the name. I like the colors. Uh, The crest is fine, Um, you know. So, right now, everything, I think,
0: is going in the right direction. Carl, you got an opinion? Yeah, I think
3: they need to bring Don Ebert back for coaching.
0: That's what I was going to say.
3: And they need to have Steve (laughs) Petcher as assistant. I'll be the water boy as long as I can get on the
0: bench.
1: (laughs) With a mask on.
0: (laughs) Don, Don, do you formally accept the position of the St. Louis City Football Club? Yeah. Listen, here's my two cents. I think what we
2: talked about for St. Louis Steamers will never happen again. But I think St. Louis Soccer Club has the unbelievable possibility, opportunity to be what MLS needs. MLS needs an all-American team. They need a team that is dominated by Americans. I am so sick of seeing Central Americans, South Americans, people from everywhere but North America getting these spots. St. Louis would embrace a roster full of the top, top Americans. Our DPs, guys with the big money, go give it to Gio Reyna. Go give it to Bobby Wood. Go do what Laiweke did years ago and give it to Bradley and bring them home. We should have the best St. Louis American players sprinkle in a Carl Rose and a Tony Glavin a slow Billy S D. But if St. Louis would just go American and have a culture of American, the league has no identity. There's only one team that in the league that has a real identity, that's LAFC. Everybody else plays the same, moves coaches. There's no culture. I think St. Louis is sitting on a goldmine. I told Jimmy Cav this la three months ago. Go American. Go. American, do what we did years ago with the Steamers. There's only one city in this country that will embrace an all-American, young, talent, hardworking, blue-collar team, and that's St. Louis. That's what they should do.
1: And really what Eves is is referring to, talking about, is even when I came into the North American Soccer League in 76, at that time you had to have one American player on the field um, in the starting lineup. And to be honest with you, it's not far from that in the MLS right now. I mean, if you get two or three on the field at one time, that's a lot. Hmm. So, you know, it hasn't it hasn't progressed in that aspect.
0: Well, the good <clears throat> news is Don's gonna change all that for us, so we're no, all right.
1: No, no doubt. He can do He's it from Mal, he can do He's it from Hollywood, he'll be fine.
0: <laughs> Guys, I know you're busy. I appreciate your time. St. Louis seven is coming up, but On the podcast that we're just wrapping up, what we're trying to do is document important people, places, and things about St. Louis. You can't do something like that if you don't talk about the Steamers. Thanks for all the joy you gave me, and thanks for the time. Hope you had a good time.
1: Thanks.
3: Enjoyed it. Patch, Carl. Thanks, dude. Peace, man.
0: And another one for the books. Love documenting St. Louis stories, especially the ones like the Steamers. This Monday's episode is with Demetrius Johnson. You might know him from his days at Mizzou. More probably know him from his efforts in the African-American community and on-air work with Hot 104.1. Energetic guy. Entertaining talk. See you Monday. Have a great, safe holiday weekend. As we do, thanks for your time this time. Till next time, so long.